0: Welcome to The Profitable Python with your host, Ben McNeil. On this episode, you will meet Galina Olenek. Galina specializes in the machine learning field of natural language processing. She is an NLP team lead at OneTouch.io and a data science lead with Women Who Code. Galina, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks, Paul.
0: It's it's an honor to have you on here. Um, Yeah,
1: for me too.
0: Well, what, what time is it in your city?
1: Uh, it is 2 p.m. so yeah i had a good night's sleep
0: (laughs) (laughs) nice yeah uh and your city is kiev is that correct
1: yeah it is kiev
0: cool yeah i was wondering what is the tech scene like in your city
1: Mm, what do you mean tech scene?
0: like is there like uh san francisco is kind of a big tech scene in the united states where like all the startup companies are and stuff does kiev have a like a lot of startup companies that are kind of like uh, in with machine learning, or is it not not really a, a big scene?
1: Yeah, basically, I would say that uh, there are quite a lot of startups nowadays in Kiev. Uh, but like in practice, uh, it, this field is is becoming uh, more and more uh, outstaff, like outsource. So uh, finally, like the game is changing, and like it is coming to product companies, it is coming to outstaff, it is coming to outsourcing something like that but personally I really enjoy working in startups like from my point of view.
0: okay cool. It, how, did, how did you kind of break into the scene yourself? like did you just wake up one day and you're like I'm doing this or how did it happen?
1: Mm, basically, like I can say that it was one moment that, like, I realized I want to be a data scientist. But uh, I was always interested in programming, in like, doing different things in C, in Java. Like I was beginning from that, and and at one point, uh, I really realized that there is this field, data science. And I remember when I started going for the courses by Andrew Ng. Like, I think that everybody in Ukraine started from them. So, uh, at that point, there were no uh, profession of data scientists in New Zealand that day. And I haven't seen any kind of vacancies. So, I simply started from like uh, reading about it, uh, watching this course. It was really exciting. And I understood that even if I won't get a job here, and it was kind of possible, I will anyway do it as my hobby. So, this is how it started.
0: Okay, perfect. And uh, I know from the pre interview, You had mentioned that your passion kind of surrounds this intersection of NLP with bioinformatics. Where did that come from?
1: I can say that I really do buy informatics, but like, uh, I know people who are really excited about it and I learn from them a lot. So it is more about like reading the news and like checking out what is happening. But yeah, of course, everybody cares about Marilyn, by Elon Musk. Everybody knows that really great things are happening. And one of my team leads on my previous job, he was really, really excited about it. And I've heard a lot about it. So this is more of a thing I enjoy listening about.
0: Nice. That's awesome. So before we get too far into this, there's some technical terms that I just want to cover, but I was hoping you could kind of explain them to me as if I needed to go share this with, make sure my 95 year old grandmother understood this. So first of all, I was wondering, how do you explain NLP to somebody that just has maybe has no idea or has never heard of it?
1: Mm, Personally, I would explain it as a part of machine learning. If the person knows what is machine learning, that is aimed to do uh, data analysis for text, I would say. So uh, if the person would like to have an application that is able to analyze some text and extract relevant information and do something with text, it's all about it.
0: Okay, perfect. And uh, there were some other terms that uh, might pop up in here with, Digital signal processing, is there a way to kind of explain that in terms of, of how it relates to NLP? Uh,
1: like basically, from my experience, and at least from the projects that I've seen in Kyiv, uh, the way it relates to it is that uh, the signal, so basically it is the voice, it is converted to text, and then text is analyzed using NLP. So uh, DSP is more about like uh, converting the signals to something meaningful because the signals itself, they don't mean anything
0: like that. Okay, perfect. And then where does NER or the name entity recognition, where does that fit into all of this?
1: Uh, Name and recognition. It is a part of NLP. One specific task of NLP. Like, it is kind of common, from what I see nowadays, in different startups and in, in big companies, because everybody wants to extract names, sure names, I don't know, company names, email names from the text. So it is one specific task of NLP.
0: Okay, perfect. Um, so immediately when I think of like like language and then text and language, or like before there was text. Uh, there was there was language and then now there's this relationship and we can run uh, data science on text and language and I'm just wondering like how does this how do you see this connecting with like this technology connecting with the human psyche or kind of like uh, releasing uh, our knowledge of like 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 the human like uh, thought process or like the human psyche
1: uh, basically, I'm personally not a fan of like comparing the uh, so like I don't know the neurons to the neurons of uh, like a uh, person's mind. So I'm not really keen of this metaphors. But uh, like from my experience, really doing a lot of different tasks for one text, it is kind of similar like to uh, doing the analysis that the person does for some kind of a paragraph or some kind of a text. Because when you do keyword extraction, topic extraction. Uh, I don't know, semantic analysis, uh, probabilistic context for like when you do all of this stuff for one text, basically you do what the person does. And you can understand the meaning of it. You can understand the relation between the entities in the text. So it is kind of similar to the person's mind. But of course, like to do this in terms of NLP, we need to run a lot of tasks. We need to do a lot of algorithms and whatever.
0: Okay, perfect. Yeah, the the other kind of question that pops up, I guess, is like... uh, In order for humans to have a connection, sometimes it's important to have empathy or have the ability to kind of know what it's like to walk in their shoes. And I'm wondering if you see any potential with this technology on helping people understand what it's like to be in somebody else's body or in their thoughts. What do you think about that?
1: Basically, I think that it is technically possible from the point of view of the text because, like empathy, it is the emotion that comes from like influencing on the person in some way, and like text can influence the person in some way. So, uh, in terms of like making the person feel the same thing, I think that some kind of useful features they can be extracted from text for some relevant person. Like this connection can be established at some point.
0: Okay. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Uh, So I was, you had had mentioned uh, in the pre-interview that you say TensorFlow is the main library that you profit from, but you also suffer from it the most. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's our blended up. Yeah. Can you just talk about that a little bit?
1: Uh, basically, like, uh, I'm working in the company in OneTouch.io, and I do all of my algorithms uh, in terms of law. like we do name entity recognition, uh, we do comparing different entities in terms of like duplicate removal and their similarity, uh, we do classification, we do a lot of stuff, and we do all of that with uh, TensorFlow because we have a powerful NVIDIA GPUs. So we can do it quite effectively. And uh, so basically, yeah, I've chosen things before because I don't really know PyTorch that well, and I guess I'm really not that ready for now for PyTorch because uh, I remember about a year ago, I was in a conference and one person was really talking about PyTorch, telling how good it is, but I remember that it was really not in production at that point, And only one year like has passed, and for now I think that I'm not ready for PyTorch. But I think that I also don't like things because because like it is not the best library in the world. We just don't have the alternative for it. It is evolving very, very fast. And also I can't say that I like this CF Karas thing, like not at all. So something <laughs> like that.
0: Okay, perfect. And uh, and actually this kind of brings up a question you had mentioned some challenges uh with running it in production. So whenever I'm whenever I'm working with stuff, especially with Python, there's always like textbook land and real world land. Like, What, what advice do you have for people that are maybe kind of like playing around with TensorFlow, knowing that they want to put it into production someday? Like how do they, there's so much more that you have to consider probably. Do you have any, do you have any insight on making your TensorFlow projects uh, production ready?
1: Uh, I can say what is my flow, I can say that it is the best one, but in practice, I don't really know the people who really write the TensorFlow code themselves. I don't really think that it is like possible in real life for real uh, NLP or machine learning engineer uh so i'm just simply taking somebody's like scratch project or something like that i'm rewriting it i'm like changing it but i'm taking some basics because like beginning from something it fails like, it helps and it saves really a lot of time so and after that i start debugging it i start checking what i can do what can i improve like what part of code is not really effective how can i optimize it so uh, my vision is that there is no like, wonderful advice because all of these uh, errors that arise from TensorFlow, flow, are painful and they are painful always, no matter how much time you spend debugging it. So it's just uh, simply about really becoming ready for it and understanding that, uh, yes, for now I need to do it. I, I really hope that at some point TensorFlow will become more useful, more user friendly, like not that complex, not that hard to put into running machines, like something like that.
0: Okay, perfect. So if I'm if I'm hearing you loud and clear here, basically, there's no way to really prepare for all these types of scenarios that can be challenging. So it's like, how do you uh, how do you prepare yourself for these unknown situations? Is, Is it just like fundamentals or experience or having a good team? Or do you have any insight on that?
1: Mm, basically, I would say that a good team is really important because like, you can like, uh, assume that you know everything, but you just missed, I don't know, uh, iterator initialization. and like, Everything breaks, and it is hard to debug. So somebody would take a look and say, okay, you have a very, very simple mistake here, just simply you are not attending enough. So this is one point that is really important, and I guess that uh, the other one is just uh, simply about like diving into the docs and um, like reading about very very small like things because TF style, for instance, it is not intuitive, not intuitive at all. So sometimes you really need to play with some small elements. It will help for the future, like to understand the whole architecture.
0: Okay, perfect. And, and actually this is one of the questions, uh, uh, that one of my uh, followers had asked was like, how do you, how do you kind of get started with, uh, NLP or machine learning in general, actually. And so what you were talking about is basically like going to the docs, finding like this little piece and kind of playing with it. So that's, that sounds like maybe one way to get started with it, but do you have other types of advice for how somebody might get started with this sort of thing?
1: Mm, like, as really starting, for instance, from with a new task, for instance, uh, and, like, the person knows that he or she needs to use TensorFlow. Well. So, like, I begin with, like, taking somebody's scratch, or at least I begin with using maybe some framework that already uses TensorFlow. Okay. Like, even if... It, if it is really the beginning of like the road, it is always useful to try some silly model some like instance F color like see how the truth like can do this job, see how some simple regression does this job, and then like uh, assume that okay, I know that like it is really easy to overfit with this data, maybe I should augment it. maybe I should use this model or that model like read about generalization bound for it something like that
0: okay, perfect, thanks for sharing that, and it sounds like it sounds like uh the road is not always like an easy road. And yeah. you, have this, you have this attitude of uh, never give up. So I was wondering, how has that attitude served you?
1: Uh, like I had, for instance, um, like one example that I was like doing a transition with uh, terms of law and um, like I have kind of complex architecture there. I like took a uh, code of one person, then I it changed it a bit, like to our data. Like it was, but it took really, really a lot of time. And I understood that this is not really about me. Like I'm not like that stupid that like I don't understand something, but it is really about the complexity of the code and how complex these errors are like don't get anything from the arrow. So I remember these times were tough. For me, I remember like I was sitting up to 8 p.m. at work and was like, what should I do with that? So, and at that point, I was the only like data scientist in the company, so nobody was able to help me with it. So it really helped me, me at that point of time and also like really support of other team members that they were saying like, okay, so it is not working that well, so okay, we're okay with that, we are ready to wait, so like no pressure. So it was also important for me. But I guess this is a general thing for data scientists. I know we have a lot of very, very talented data scientists that don't have their models working very well, that have their scores around, you know, 70 F1 score. But this is still okay because it is real life. We're doing experiments and not that successful results of these experiments. They don't mean that they don't know their job. So it's simple real life.
0: Yeah, I really want to dig into this. So, So what you're talking about is like, like just because you're getting these certain results, it doesn't, it doesn't correlate with your skills or knowledge. That's like kind of some mental game right there. Like if you, if, I mean, if you didn't, if you weren't kind of uh, aware of that scenario, you might kind of be hard on yourself. Like we are our biggest critics. Can you, can you maybe, um, offer any insight for people that are like struggling, struggling with this, I guess. Mm
1: i guess that the best advice would be first of all like maybe to try another simple model and another advice would be like just to put it away i don't know for a day sometimes like i really have the problems like adding more entities for name than recognition because like we have more than like two or three types, and for instance with four of them everything's okay i add fifth one it is not training, like it is not simply finding at all so I try to do something, and if I see that I spend, I don't know, one day, two days, and it is not working. Either. So I put it away for a day, like I think about it, but not really in a dense, fresh way. And after that, I come back the next day, and I have an idea. So it is always really useful like to switch yourself from one activity to another, maybe to reflect on something, to read something, and it will really help me.
0: Okay, perfect. That's great advice. And the other question that I had for you uh, here was, so... So you basically, um, for somebody that's experimenting with models, what, what advice do you have for scoring the models? Is it really straightforward or is it kind of specific to the application or like, how do you, uh, is, is it just strictly like a, a percentage? Like, Oh, it's 90, pre- predicting 90% accuracy. Is it that straightforward or is there, is there more to it with experimenting with building models and then scoring them?
1: Like from uh, my experience, like I'm working in a bit like specific field, but it is also always useful to try like adding some noise and to see what the model does to the noise. For me personally, if the model copes with really strange data, I don't know really short sentences, for instance, if the model was trying on a long sentence, or uh, you pass something really, really strange that the model haven't seen. And if it copes with it well, then I guess it generalized well because personally, of course, I run the cross-validation. I share my one my position, my recall, but after that I always like try to pass some real life sentences with somebody like would say or some short paragraph or like some advertisement paragraph something like that and if the model is okay with them then it is okay.
0: Okay I, I maybe I'm just uh, like kind of new to the scene here or something but is it is it normal to introduce noise to the to the models to see how they cope with it or is that kind of like your special your special touch?
1: uh like basically um like in terms of information theory like any kind of data it always has the noise. but like uh in practice i guess like on every company that was like working in production like every kind of a data set had really a lot of noise so maybe like this is more about my cases but if you introduce the noise to the model like you really shouldn't break it for like any model that I was working on it. So if it doesn't break, then it is okay. And if the score of course for like the sentences that are coming from the validation set, if the score is okay, then yeah, the model generalized well, but like, this is not that easy question, I would say, because yeah, for some kind of research, people assume that their data has like minimum number of knowledge and it shouldn't have it and it shouldn't work on it. It is realized.
0: Okay. Perfect and i I would imagine somewhere with experimenting with the models and scoring the models there's there's bias that that you kind of have to deal with. How have you like bias might not be intuitive, especially when you're first starting out so how do you how do you deal with bias or like those things that may be like the unknown unknowns and that might be two questions, so feel free to tackle that however. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so basically, like as for the bias in terms of like really um, creating the model and like seeing the data, like uh, first of all, like in terms of bias in the data, it is always useful to have a person that would take a look and that would say like it is okay or it is not okay. And it is always useful to take a look at the data for the second, for the third time, and see that okay, maybe it has some problems. Uh, personally, I really like doing data augmentation. It makes the data very noisy, of course, but uh, like it saves a lot of time. To extend the data sets of course, and it also helps to the model to work much better in terms of their generalization. Because, like for me, it is kind of important. So, no, no false positives are really important for me. So, in terms of bias in the data, I would say that this advice is, from my experience, are the best. And I'm like that.
0: Okay, awesome. And just switching gears a little bit here, I'm curious. Uh, is, so, the, the job role that you have. Um, I'm curious, why, why is personal data discovery solutions, why are those important today? And why are, why are not more people kind of creating solutions around that space?
1: Uh, because HPR is currently kind of new. It is May 18th. If I remember correctly, and uh, it be, it started working you know, like in Europe. Uh, so uh, people heard about it, but uh, not all the people were really sure it would start working. And uh, also, like it takes time to start doing this solution. We started working, I guess, in November 17th, something like that. So like the founders they already were sure that so, like GDPR will become that. And uh, also, really, this data privacy usually it is not the first priority for the big companies, for the big hotels, something like that, because uh, they have like really tons of information running in their data centers. And even managing this data it is complex. So, uh, I, for me, like if I would imagine the task of filtering out the sensitive information from it, it is a very complex thing, like to find it, to filter it. So they usually don't really know what is happening, their data centers because they created them, I don't know, 20 years ago, and they were simply extending them and they don't know what is happening. So I guess this is the main reason and also CCPA is starting being effective in US, I guess, this month, next month, I know that like in the next few months, it will become something like that.
0: Okay, perfect. And yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, so this is like an enterprise solution that uh, yeah. you mainly work with, right? So. I, I kind of wonder how, like if you just flip the coin, like people are probably worried like, where the heck is all my data? You know, like, is it being protected? Do you see, do you see this uh, sort of uh, technology being uh, somehow like deployed or productized for like me, for example? Is there, is there some sort of opportunity for, for me, I guess, to leverage the technology?
1: Uh, Like, OneTouch is doing, and also, like, people who are in the same field, uh, they're doing it simply for enterprise, because, like, it is only the beginning, I would say, like, we are the pioneers in this field. So, OneTouch and similar companies, they're doing it only for enterprise, but I really know that uh, the person can, like, send the request to any kind of hotel, a good company, or airline, for instance, and say, like, please, uh, show me the data that you have. It is possible.
0: Okay, perfect and I've I've heard of some I'm going maybe going a little off-topic here so you can you can tell me like ah that I don't don't want to answer that but um, I'm curious about the Applications of blockchain in this space because I've I've heard of some projects even that have been uh, kind of like like uh, Blockchain has been used to kind of store personal data and then also make sure to uh, like like, for example, if my personal data is being leveraged somehow, that I get compensated for it what do you What do you think about that whole uh situation?
1: Mm, I'm not really like, know about how it, like it works in practice in blockchain, uh, but I really know that you are able to get some kind of the compensation, for instance, from British airlines. I remember that there was a really big data breach uh in the last few months. And they had a really big uh, fine on it, and they really had a lot of problems on that. So, yeah, I guess that if it really, if it is really important for you, and you would like to find out how they store your data, and you see that they are not protecting it, yes, from the official point of view, you can find out uh, how do you, how can you make them have a big fine.
0: Okay, perfect. And I guess, yeah, so so hearing your answer to that question, I want to refine my question a little more. So even like um like I'm on YouTube, it's a free service, or I'm in Facebook, it's a free service. But we all know free is not free. Like they're collecting data and all this stuff. So if there's some sort of like uh information that they're tracking on me and then they somehow productize that to help somebody market their products and services better, is there some is there is there some way to like maybe get compensated for that, I guess too or or does that is that just like crazy talk?
1: I think that theoretically it is possible but you know they would say that they anonymize your data and they don't see that it is you they see that they only use. Some kind of the features that are not revealing any kind of personal or sensitive data. And this is maybe also not true because, like, if you don't see their databases, you cannot be sure that they are doing it. Right. But yeah, they will always say that we are not like processing your information. We are simply processing some kind of the features and using it for the models. But yeah, this is not true even from my experience when I was developing the models for another startup I was working on. Uh, to extract these features, I was reading somebody's data because how can i make the model to like train? so they were also saying the same thing but it was bullshit for the company because all of the data scientists they had really access to everything and it wasn't anonymizing
0: mm. yeah that's uh i I didn't, I didn't mean to derail the conversation too much there but i was curious on your insight with that um because like really really i mean i think you hit the nail on the head here like the person per- managing personal data is super tricky and going into the future like what is the trend of this like it's going to become even even a bigger deal or like can you talk about the, the future of managing personal data
1: i think that uh first of all at some point uh, the data should be protected from the data scientists themselves because i i guess the last uh, winter i was listening to a kind of interesting talk from one of the data scientists and he was Okay, uh, he was talking about the thing that uh, the data scientists in, in his team, they have access to real data of real customers. But in practice, they shouldn't do it. But at this point, really, uh, the majority of companies, they don't have technologies to somehow protect this data. Because like, data scientists should do their models. But of course, these data scientists, they have access to it. So he was talking about some kind of the novel approaches to this thing, like some kind of simple the libraries, the tools, more of an engineering stuff. So I guess that the first step would be to do that. It is really important for the companies. For instance, if the company has, I don't know, 50 data scientists, I'm sure that all of these data scientists, they would have access to all of the databases, and they would be able to read everything from anyone. So this is the first thing. And another thing is that, um, yeah, I guess at some point, big companies, I don't know, like Apple, like uh, NVIDIA, like Dell, uh, they would need to show us that they really like anonymize and protect our data. Mm. They would really need to do it, and uh, it will be a big step forward, because at this point we 're simply collecting the data, and people really only start thinking about what is the future, what is going to happen in the future
0: yeah you bring up you bring up a good point like from like if I was a huge company, it'd almost be like a way to brand myself in a real positive light if I could show transparency with like this is how we 're managing your personal data. And protecting it and I know they have like crazy documents that are like you know 50 pages long and it's like this is how we manage your data and stuff but what you're talking about is like very uh, a very transparent process because there's technology that doesn't exist and you guys are building it basically that's hel- helping with the transparency here okay yeah. yeah that... So
1: yeah, we even have it. we even have the DISA reports that like after running our uh, platform like on the data scientists of the company that uh, has with us, uh, then uh, we give the DISA report. This is automatically generated documents that shows the sensitive and personal data that is stored on the network elements in different repositories, in different data storages, and all of the similar similar things where data can be. So yeah, like after reading this detailed report, it is really human readable, not right, you know 50 pages or something. So one can really see what is happening in the data set.
0: Okay, perfect. Yeah, this this is exciting for sure. Um, so actually, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about machine learning careers and uh, what is so what are the most important skills for machine learning engineers like today?
1: Mm, it is really hard to say for me because I'm in Kyiv and I know that in the U.S. and San Francisco, for instance, it is very, very different. But I would say that in Eastern Europe and in Central Europe, the most important is Python. The most important nowadays it is uh, knowing how to work with deep learning uh, frameworks, but really not even like being able to build something, knowing how to support it. It is, of course, uh, knowing how to connect your services to some apps like Docker and uh, like basic things that related to DevOps and to engineering. And of course, it is, I guess, knowing how the majority of algorithms do. And I would say that if the person really knows the details of it, the mathematics behind it and really knows how to build them, it is more about the design machine learning science.
0: Okay, perfect. And it, as far as um, like self-learning goes, uh, do you, where, where do you think that fits in? Like, obviously you need to continue to grow, but is it possible for somebody to be very successful in your field? For example, if they don't have like a traditional like degree or in uh, machine learning, where do, do you see those people being successful?
1: Yes, I know really like, you know, the person who has one of the most uh, successful startups in Ukraine. It is Video Guerrillas. Maybe you've heard about it. It is working with Netflix. It is working with NVIDIA. Like They do the um, extension of the, the improvement of resolution of different videos up to 4K. So for a very old film, and it is 4K thanks to that technology. So this person even hasn't finished his degree, and he's very, very smart, and like he is like uh, when i'm listening to him i think that oh like how can he know so much and how can he, can he know uh, so different so many things and have relevant skills and continue learning so i would even say that him in ukraine the phd is a minor than more than a minus because if the person has phd here then usually he or she doesn't really know how to work in real life and if the person has the bachelor's degree it is the optimum so it is okay, but really this degree isn't connected to real life. I know that it, it is really different for U.S., for instance, for Western Europe, like Ukraine, it is a different situation. But here, I would say that, yes, you cannot have a degree and you can be awesome in, in your field. And it doesn't matter because, yes, they, people may ask on an interview, but if you're answering your own questions, nobody would care. Something like that.
0: Okay, so it's, it's almost like if your results, your results speak for themselves, and, uh, I, and I would almost argue with you, like, like it, it might not actually be that different because I mean, just from my experience, like programming is a, is a meritocracy and that's why I love it so much. Like, it doesn't matter if I've been doing this for 30 years. Like if your idea is better than mine, we're going with your idea, you know? And, yeah. and it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you have, you don't have a degree and I do or, or whatever. So I love that whole, Concept of it being a meritocracy, and and it seems like that's how it works there as well. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, it
0: correct. That's that's awesome. So I I was curious. Um, so how do you plan on becoming more skilled as an NLP engineer? Because I know that's one of your kind of long term yeah. goals. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, this- Kind of hard to answer, but like the technologies are evolving, and a frequent thing that I see that okay, like I'm working on more of an engineering task with how to support some model how to deploy it how to decorize it and, and everything and things like gpt2 and url are coming and they are improving and is coming is improving and like i know the basics how it works but i don't really have time like to dive into it and to read the mathematics find out the details and everything so for me really important is finding this uh, balance between really doing your job and also continuing to learn and I try to balance it somehow because, yes, of course, I can dedicate all of my time simply like to doing only the job. You always need to read about something to like maybe implement it in the future for the profit of your company, like. So it is one thing I would say. And also another thing is, as for me, I guess, to improve my skills as an engineer, because I would say that I'm much better as a scientist because I know some mathematics, like I can say that really well, but better than I do engineering. So from my point of view, I wish I could learn more programming languages. I wish I could be able to do some service and functional programming for instance if we need it. So extend my knowledge and my background in terms of computer science.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's so, and that's all done like when you're not working. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Like you, you have like your day job, but then you have yeah. to still come home and come. Yeah. yeah Yeah,
1: so like it really it really depends because sometimes okay like i have eight hours working day but if i don't go for a lunch like for an hour then I simply, like, have one more hour left. So, I have, like, nine hours working day, including lunch. So, if I don't, like, eat for one hour, then I, for the last hour, for instance, I read some papers or something. And, of course, we always have the time when the model is training. For instance, it's training for, I don't know, four hours, what should I do then? So, I can read the paper, and it is okay as long as like, I'm doing the job for the company. But if it is all day about on recording and all about doing, like, the real job, then, yeah, I come home, and if I'm interested in something, then, like, I read about it. like
0: Okay, perfect. Yeah and I guess that just gets back to the whole like you better love what you do <laughs> because like that's the only way you're really gonna persist is and persist in learning that area. Yeah. Uh, so what is the biggest challenge that you have had leading a team of data scientists?
1: So basically for now like we only have a team of three people so I can say that it is a team of kind people for instance but I would say that for, personally for me the most challenging thing is like about managing these people because I really don't like Jira and I don't really like doing all of these small tasks, subtasks, stories, ethics and all of the things that like my PM does of the whole project. So from my point of view it, it was kind of complex for me to start like really organizing their work first of all and secondly mm, it is worth noticing that when I was coming to like this job I, it was only about me because the company wasn't really understanding the scope of data. So I was the first data scientist there. So I was not really thinking that I would do I would be the team lead. So I was thinking that I would be one data scientist and that would be all. And at some point then I realized that okay I need to manage it. Okay so maybe I should become a team lead of the team. Something like that. So this is was I guess the second thing for me to realize that I am responsible for this whole floor because before it I was well, I was simply the part of the team of course I was responsible but not as much and now mm-hmm. I, I understand that how much I'm responsible and this is, sometimes it is about over time. Yeah,
0: I love that. It's like uh, it's like you're taking extreme ownership over it. Like like uh, ev- everything is kind of your fault with the team. So how do you get how do you get the team working on uh, on, on what you need them to be working on. So, so I love that attitude.
1: Yeah, so basically, like, uh, from my point of view, and this point of view is also, also from one of my team leads, that he was saying that, like, okay, this person can know a lot, but if, like, I can't work with him as with a the person, then it doesn't really matter for me. And when I was looking for a new data, junior data scientist into the team, I was not really paying that much attention to the real knowledge. For instance, I don't know, person doesn't know the central limit theorem, so, but the person is good and the person is willing to work and he is motivated. So it was the most important thing for me from my point of view. So it is really about soft skills, I guess. And my PM, he is always saying that, yes, yeah, soft skills are the most important thing for me. The person can learn. The person is good at first.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm. I'm so happy you brought that up. So, Uh, and you may have already kind of said this, but I just want to really dig into it. Like what, what are the biggest things that you look for when, when you're kind of bringing these people on board? I just, I want people to hear this.
1: Mm. It is always like, a, it is a complex thing to say, but for me, the motivation is everything. If I see that the person, for instance, doesn't know a lot of things, but he or she said, okay, I don't know, but I will learn. And if the person is trying to dive into different things, that he or she is saying that, okay, if I will need to do a data labeling for a week, for instance, I would do it because I love my job. If I would need to, I don't know, dive into the details of Docker and understand how to do Docker Compose, even knowing that this is not a uh, not a data scientist. Not a data science field. I really love my job, so I would do it. So it was a really important thing. And when I was interviewing for the last time, I was really like putting this thing up and like em- em- emphasizing it for all of the candidates. And finally, I chose the person who was really interested, really motivated, and it really came the way I thought it would become. So this person is a really great data scientist in terms of learning, in terms of willing to learn, in terms of like love and what he does, and trying to cope with it in the best way.
0: Okay, perfect. And then, what has kind of been like your biggest learning, I guess, when it comes to to leading a team, or were you just like a naturally awesome?
1: <laughs> I don't think I'm naturally awesome. So basically. I guess that it was uh, like, at some point, I remember um, we had one component and we were not sh- really sure that it is working on working. We really didn't get a good feedback after the installation session because the person was flying back to Israel at that point. So uh, we were not sure what has broken and if this is related to my work on like to Java developers work. I remember that we had a problem. And I remember that we were making assumptions. I really don't like it. Like when we don't know what happened, but we are all making assumptions about something. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, I can say that it was a conference, but yeah, we were like discussing it and saying, no, this is you, no, this is you, this is your model, this is not your model, something like that. And I was, at that point, I really said that, okay, like uh, this is like, my thing, but I'm sure that this and this and this, it is working, maybe this is not working. But if you are in like, discussing about it, then please, like, join, join me to that call and, like, let's discuss it together because, like, I'm responsible for that. And I really remember that moment because I was a bit mad at that point because, like, mm-hmm. w- what are you doing? What is happening? Stuff like that. But it was a good experience because at that point I really said that, okay, I'm responsible for this and, like, if you would like to discuss it on, or if you have an assumptions please, like, go to me and we will discuss it.
0: Mm, yeah, that's... It just sounds like it's so tricky, like. But good, good for you. So do you do you see yourself kind of continuing down this path, or like where? What does the future hold for your career aspirations? Like, where would you like to kind of land in like ten years? I guess.
1: Mm, for me, like I'm not thinking about what what would happen in ten years. It it is hard. Yeah. Uh, I would say that yeah, I like this company where I work, I work in now, because like we uh, really have the abilities. We have a good machines where we can train our model, and like we have a good CTO, we have a good CO that understands that sometimes this thing may not work, not because we are not doing our job, but because simply the data is complex, and sometimes not all the models, like they for some data, we simply can't have a really perfect model. So these people are good in, in that terms. So from my point of view for the future, I plan to still work in one touch and maybe to make the team big because I wish that we could have a really, really lot of the models that would cover a really lot of the cases for the customers that would also analyze network elements, that would extract some features from their repositories, that would analyze network traffic in the machine learning way, not only in the engineering way, and all of these great things. So this is the next plans, and I'm afraid to plan something except for that.
0: <laughs> Cause the plans always change, right?
1: Yeah.
0: They never, they never happen the way you want them to. But yeah, yeah. that, that's awesome. So I had another question for you. Um, and this is just like, I guess I'm just stating the obvious here, but they're um, at least in the States, it's like, like the male to female ratio in tech and like machine learning. It's like all really weighted towards, towards males. So I was just wondering like what advice Do you have for like like a woman looking to break into tech like can you just share that with the audience?
1: I would say that for my experience I really also had not that great experience here like in Kyiv that like yeah there were some problems back in that time female and male. so that was not a good atmosphere at one of the companies I worked in so Personally, I would recommend if you see that the people, they are not good in this sense that they make some bad jokes and they have really different attitudes because you're a girl, you know, then it's better to leave this toxic atmosphere because you will not profit like at the end because from that company, I learned a lot in terms of you knowing different data science things, like you knowing engineering things. I learned a lot of skills and a lot of information. Mm-hmm. But after leaving it, I had not like the best state of like man, my mental health, I would say. So I was really not okay at some point with what people are thinking about me because it was really about judgment at some Mm-hmm. So I guess that at then like if the woman notices it then like here she should really know that there are a lot of companies where it can be much better. So there is no point like to stay there simple like for your salary because I'm sure like in US like in Europe in it is not that complex to find another job even with a better salary. So that doesn't really make some sense like to stay for a long time.
0: Okay, perfect. Yeah, and I think you're totally on point there like it's really helpful to have an abundance mindset. Like your, your skills are in high demand. And if the work environment is toxic, like you need to head for the Hills, there's going to be a better place for you. I I love that attitude. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So uh, I want to talk about your public speaking a little bit while we have some uh, time left here. What was your experience like, uh, speaking at the data science UA, which is a, uh, uh, a big conference, right? In your, yeah. it's an international conference, I think, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is an international. thing. it is like based in Kyiv, of course, but like people are coming to for it uh, from I don't know, from Russia, from Minsk, uh, from Belarus, and from other from other countries. So, I would say that, first of all, I was really surprised that I'm invited, because, you know, like, uh, they wrote me, and I was like, you know, I'm not doing something really exceptional here. So, uh, first of all, I was kind of shocked on that, and mm-hmm. I was really, like, preparing for it for a long time. I was, I was really reading all of the articles, like, doing all of this code draft for the workshop, like, uh, I don't know, expanding my knowledge in different spheres and everything. Mm-hmm. So... From my point of view, I would say that this workshop was okay. Uh, The only mistake I made is that I've chosen really two complex things that I wanted to cover. So I covered different language models together with uh, different approaches to do CRF, conditional random fields, and I combined it also with uh, the stuff related to combining um, one-hot encoded features, like indicator features and word embeddings. how can you do that? And I combined everything. So it, it was kind of complex thing, and people were... Not really ready for it, so I received great feedback. It was from the people like doing the similar stuff as I do uh, yeah. and at then, I was happy that I cope with it and it was a successful speech as I see. but yeah, I should have chosen a simpler thing and I already learned this thing and for the IUcra that will happen in September, I know that I will make it simple.
0: awesome and and you are uh, continuing to look for speaking opportunities or or did you have enough after you did that?
1: Uh, I think that uh, I'm always like into sharing like, my knowledge because like, if somebody invites me, I never say no. Okay. Because uh, this is more of a personal thing that I've learned the majority of I know based on the blogs, based on the conferences, based on the, I don't know, YouTube videos and articles and papers. Mm-hmm. Because like uh, education in the is not relevant to the design job. So I learned the majority of what I need from it, and if somebody invites me to share my knowledge, I'm always like into it And if I need to come in another city, in another city, and if I need like to shift my plans, but I can help somebody. Like I say, okay, because like it is important for me. A lot of people can have the same thing that I have in terms of the knowledge, and be even more successful and like learn a lot more. Simply after listening a lot of great conferences, great talks, uh, finding a lot of free data on the internet. Something like
0: that. Okay, perfect. And actually, I'm, I'm curious, Like, what did, you, what did you have to do to make your personal brand loud enough that way they even invited you to the conference? Like, What, what were the things you kind of did to get noticed, I guess?
1: Mm, I would say that all of, the majority of data scientists in Kenya, they know each other. So. Okay.
0: It's a close community. <laughs> <It's> a, a <laughs> family.
1: Yeah, uh, it is loud enough because, yeah, you come, for instance, to Ukraine, I know the majority of speakers there, and the majority of speakers know me, because not that many people uh, do data science in Ukraine, as for now, but uh, speaking about some international stuff where people don't know you, I would say that a really hot topic is kind of important and yeah i guess simply finding a really good interesting hot topic and presenting it well in an easy language and making everybody engaged in it.
0: okay perfect and i know you have a um you have like a, a medium blog that's got like many like many people have enjoyed reading that do you do you want to talk about that a little bit
1: maybe i can say that i'm a bit lazy with my blog Because, yeah, like, uh, for, I write something, I guess, once, four, five, six months, something like that. The last thing I wrote, it was for one touch. It was posted on their blog. It was about, like, uh, anonymizing data, identifying data, like differential privacy, all of this stuff related to security. And there are five parts in it. But, yeah, like, I guess that these days I don't have enough time to post something. I really like, like writing but I don't always have time for it.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the, at least the blog that I saw was uh, it looked like very involved and I was wondering uh, how do you I mean you don't just sit down and write that in one sitting or do you?
1: Uh, I guess it was about two sitting something like that. if okay. it takes more like I'm, I'm lazy enough like to leave it. So uh, okay. yeah, it was all about TensorFlow and uh, like one of my friends it was I told him that, you know, I'm planning to write something about TensorFlow, I'm debugging it a lot. And he was like, Okay, well, I'm waiting for like twenty minutes long wait on suffering from TensorFlow and it really kinda of came that way, as he said to me. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that it would be useful for somebody to find out how he or she can make this experience with TensorFlow a bit easier. Because, yeah, some kind of the mistakes they are similar; they can be grouped into like some kind of the categories. And always, like, uh, good practices for TensorFlow they are kind of important. And a lot of things is not obvious, of course. Because, for instance, you can feed the data into the graph in. I guess three different ways and they're different and they make the performance of the model really different. And usually people, they don't know about it because it is deep down in the TensorFlow doc.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I'm always, thanks for sharing this because I'm always curious, like, what is the angle that people are taking when they're writing blogs? Because it's good for your personal brand. I mean, that thing is out there and you're continuously like getting recognized for your uh, domain expertise there. So it's like, it makes sense to really prepare for these things and, and, and have a good uh, product that you create. So I'm always kind of curious, like, what kind of nuggets do you have for someone that maybe has, like, thought about writing a blog or, like, maybe they just don't know how to put their ideas on paper? Do you have any, uh, like, additional advice for them in, on that?
1: Uh, I guess that it is important not to stick to some format, as I see, because uh, for me, it is okay to write it as a list always as a list, like a list of some categories, or a list of some approaches, or a list of some advices. Uh, for some people, it is more uh, useful to write it as a free text, and it is okay for them to do it as a free test. Uh, for other people, it is okay to write really short notes, but a lot of them might. The person is okay with small ideas. So it really depends, but yeah, for a lot of good blogs and good ideas were killed with sticking to some format, and the person is not comfortable with it, and here she lives. So yeah, I guess the person should write the way he or she likes to write because uh, he or she spent some time on it and it is always about getting pleasure from it.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. So like as much, like maybe you can go out there and research like, okay, how are all these other people doing it? But at the end of the day, you've got to be having fun with it and you've got to, you kind of got to do it your own way. There's no, there's, is that kind of what I'm hearing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay
0: perfect so uh there was another question i had for you so once you did that uh that that awesome talk at the data science ua how did your self image change
1: mm, i would say that not really uh, it it didn't change a lot because yeah, the majority of people there, they already knew me, and I already spoke to them in terms of these engineers, and ML engineers, NLP engineers. So I found out about uh, more great NLP scientists in Ukraine in Kiev, and I met them, and for now I'm communicating with them, and it is a really important thing for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I guess I really realized that there are more NLP specialists that are great and that are, are doing a great job, because NLP in Kiev, it is not really that developed as computer vision. We have a lot of projects here related to computer vision and only a few, I guess, startups that are doing it. So it is a rest thing. And I've heard about them. I found these people we met, like we started talking about different approaches and technologies and frameworks. It it was really a pleasure to spend some time with them. And uh, yeah, I guess it was the only major change after that because uh, I can't say that it was really, it really didn't change how it has, how I saw me and how people saw me.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And so I wanted to, I wanted to uh, get into some of the questions when I went. So before I got on the podcast, I went on live on Instagram and uh, told people, Hey, I'm going to be doing a podcast with a NLP specialist. What questions do you have for her? So I'm just going to run through the list. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So do you have any do you have any uh advice on like f- like free resources for people to go learn about NLP? Are you there? Um, Crystal, oh I
1: would be a very useful thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I were like if I had internet connection problem, yeah. So yeah, I guess that uh, Stanford course for it is a really good thing. It is called NLP course from Stanford. I guess it is the way it is called, okay. and uh, also different papers from archives. They are always really important, and a big book by Jurafsky. I guess this is the only book by NLP specialist that I re- I read like in all of the pages. So it is also also a great thing. And I can't say that there is a big list of resources that uh, can be used by NLP specialist that are really related to NLP only. It always correlates with machine learning in some way.
0: Okay, perfect. And um, we might have touched on this already, but maybe just uh, summarize this. Like, like what is what is like the first couple steps somebody would take to get started with NLP?
1: Mm, I Personally, I started with NLP after simply taking some jobs on, uh, uh, I guess, on on Upwork, yeah. It was on Upwork, yeah, because I had, like, two similar freelance platforms. I simply started with them, and I read about it. It was simply simple tasks about keyword extraction, like uh, topic modeling, and other simple things. And I read about it, I understood that I can do it, why shouldn't I try it? So it was the way I started, and after that I went to Stanford course, and after that I read a part of the book by Juravsky, but I was always simultaneously doing different jobs, and I was always experimenting on that. Because uh, NLP, it has much less resources than CV in terms of the books, in terms of, the I don't know, big blogs. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess this is it.
0: Okay, perfect, Thanks. thank you for sharing that. And uh, another person had asked, Is NLP still growing or is it full grown?
1: No, of course it is growing. We have Roberta now, we have Bert now, we have a lot of great things now. Uh, Yeah, I would say that people were assuming that it all stuck uh, a year ago or a year and a half ago before Bert. And it was uh, half of a year, I guess, before Bert. And people are saying, like, you see, a CV is evolving, CV is becoming better. We can now recognize everything on the video and on the picture. And NLP, it can't capture the context on the multilingual level because uh, not all the people they were satisfied with the for instance. So some people were assuming that, yeah, NLP is stuck. But we see seen that, no, we just simply took more time than CV. Something like that.
0: Okay, awesome. And uh, do you have any advice from going from text? to basically creating apps with nlp is there any anything you can talk about on that
1: mm, i guess that yeah you can do it so you can uh, basically like do your model uh, and after that connect it to like some app and do some app that includes your model uh, already some of the frameworks like TensorFlow it already has the TensorFlow serving and this TensorFlow serving it has the uh, IP4S that is the, like by default and it really makes the integration of the model easier. So uh, I guess that it is always about reading a few resources and you can do it. Uh, usually a lot of data scientists, they are kind of afraid to do engineering jobs because sometimes they think that I won't cope with it and it is too complex like what I'm doing, this is not my job and everything, but it is not that complex as some people do. and. Uh, it is always simply about experience. It is easier than you decide.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you bring up a good point there. It's like, I, I constantly wonder like, what, what kind of fear do I have that's holding me back? And that kind of sounds like that too. Like, yeah, don't be afraid of engineering. Just uh, dive right in and do it. And you get better yeah, with it.
1: Yeah, of course. I remember when I uh, started connect to RabbitMQ, I was also like, what I'm doing? Why I'm doing it? You know, like we have engineers, why should I do that? Right. But it was only a day like compared to doing my model.
0: Yeah, that's, that's an excellent attitude. I love that so much. So, um, how, how would somebody efficiently grow their machine learning skills? That was another, another, uh, followers question.
1: Uh, I guess that it is always about uh, reading about new things, but also trying them in practice. Because I know mathematicians and PhD and uh, people coming from the similar field that are always reading new papers. They know how the things were, are working. They know mathematics. They know different fields of calculus and everything. But they can't run it in production. So they have that boundary that stops them from really deploying it on the server. Mm. So, I guess if the person reads about something, for instance, Flaring Biden, really not that complex thing. Uh, And there is already a package by the creator of Flaring Biden. So, it is kind of easy, like, simple to install it, import it, and, like, simply try it and, like, have fun with it. So, always try to combine the practice with the theory, and it will be the best way, I think.
0: I'm I'm so happy you said that. (laughs) It's uh, it just gives, it just validates my whole, my whole, uh, thesis. Like you have to be an active programmer. Like you have to do this every day okay. and, uh, like theory is good and stuff, but nothing beats like everything you're saying. I can't agree with it more. <laughs>
1: Thank you
0: it's yeah, it's, uh, it's good for your career growth. Absolutely. So uh, I was wondering if you had any tips on building a recommendation system.
1: Uh, I- Personally, I haven't ever like built a recommendation system for production. I remember I was like having fun with it once, But I'm not really aware about like the classical like uh, recommendation system building, like with this the usual classic algorithms. I even can't remember how it is called, like simple for my mind. Mm-hmm. But as for doing the analysis for, for the text to build this invitational system and fit some kind of the features into it. I guess uh, that it is really important to personalize it as much as possible. So to extract some kind of the features from text that are identifying the person as it is, like uh, his or her hobbies, or like uh, what he or she likes from the social media. I don't know, the preferences in clothes and like similar stuff. So it is the most important to build it successfully, as I see.
0: Okay, perfect. And actually, I, I don't know if it was the same person or somebody right after them, but they asked that: uh, Do you see the benefit to building NLP apps for libraries to help them recommend books?
1: Um, I guess that already. I don't. I don't know uh, about Amazon, but Goodreads has an awesome system. It is really awesome. I found I find one book, and I find uh, I don't know one hundred books that are relevant for me. So okay. yeah, I guess it will already it.
0: It's already happening. They got to go yes. check out Goodreads. You said right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay. It is a U.S. resource. Yeah, it is a U.S. resource.
0: Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'll make sh- I'll make sure. Hopefully, they they uh, make it to this part of the interview. They can get the answer to their question. So, <laughs> uh, any advice for Python programmers to help them monetize their skills?
1: I guess that if the person is already a good Python programmer and uh, he or she would like to switch to machine learning, then it is um, not that complex stuff as the person thinks. Because this skill of good engineering, it is already a valuable thing. And a lot of machine learning engineers, they don't have that good Python programming skill. So for the person, it is simply about like understanding how the things work, uh, how to import it, how to run it, how to deploy it. And it is not always about like knowing what is the difference between, I don't know, cross entropy and simple entropy, So the person can successfully run these a models without.
0: Okay. And it, and it sounds like from, if I'm hearing you correctly, like machine learning, this definitely has a bright future. So if you're a Python programmer out there and you want to yeah. try and monetize your skills, definitely check yeah. it out. Okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> uh, uh, just kind of like a personal question here. What kind of hobbies do you like to do outside of programming?
1: Uh, I can't really say that I have a lot of hobbies, and my boyfriend always blames me for it that you are reading about your uh, like uh, technologies and machine learning things again so I would say that I like uh, taking film photos, this is what I enjoy but I don't do it really frequently, Like once a few months I guess I work with one film mm-hmm. and uh, also of course I like traveling, I like distracting myself for some period of time and mm. I would say I also like Ukrainian rape culture, rave culture, like everything related to it. And at that point, everybody's like, Oh, you are like going to rave. <laughs> What's wrong with you?
0: Good for you. You know, it sounds like, you know, how to have fun. I, that's, that's awesome. Uh, uh, do, do they have like a uh, pretty, pretty sweet shows there or do you have to like travel to go see those shows?
1: Uh, no, we have a lot of things here in Kiev, and this is an awesome part of Kiev that we have these raves that are uh, hosted even in Berghain, in Berlin and in like other awesome clubs that we have them here and like it is on every weekend so on every weekend you can go to Closer or to other club and enjoy an awesome show and also even we have uh, festivals I guess a few times a year like it is a two or three days rave, and also we have a giant rave like this this hammer rave. It is about seven thousand people and eight thousand people something like that.
0: Okay, wow, yeah, it sounds like there's a big uh, there's a big like culture there basically for this.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really love it. I I never
0: I, I I've never been there. I, ha- I have no idea. But that's that sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, that great. So uh, what is what is the best advice that you have ever received
1: Mm, i guess it is about like uh, balancing your life in terms of your work and your fun and like your hobbies and everything it is one thing and another thing is that to really do the quality job, you need to have a quality rest. No matter if it is are sleeping or going somewhere or simply watching the film. But yeah, you can't be always effective because you need to have a rest at some point because even if you try very, very hard but you are very tired, it won't work.
0: Okay, thank you for sharing that. That is super critical. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, what is a like, non-technical book, like the best non-technical book?
1: Um, it is hard to say. I guess that I really enjoyed Lullaby by Chuck Palenik and also in terms of Russian literature, I really—it is one of the last books that I read. It is Brothers Karamazin by Dostoevsky. I can't say that it is awesome, but it is like kind of good enough, in my opinion. Okay,
0: perfect. Yeah, uh, I I might need you to like put the name of that in the in the chat, uh, like at the at okay. the end because i i don't know if i i don't know if I, actually do you do you mind throwing that in there right now
1: yeah of course okay With, cool uh, sounds like that i don't really know how to like uh, spell it correctly in english but something like that
0: okay and it's pronounced okay i that's going to be tricky for me to pronounce but i'll uh i'll make sure i keep that handy for the the show notes um the okay, so what do you do? You play video games, or or in back in the day, did you ever play video games?
1: My boyfriend really likes video games, but I'm not really a fan of them because uh, I don't have a good reaction in video games for some reason. I really tried it hard, but I'm always slow, like watching doing something, like driving some video games. So I remember really Vice City from my childhood. It was like the top game and everybody loved it. And I also loved uh, like playing it for some time, but for now I don't play it.
0: So, so what was that game? Cause the question that I wanted to ask was, what is like the best video game ever made? So what, what was that
1: uh, game? I guess I've played around three games in my life, but it, for me it is the GTA Vice City.
0: Okay. That's that that has when I ask people these questions, like that has that's come up quite a bit. So you're not alone.
1: Uh, yeah, it's great.
0: Good for you. And and I guess we need to ask your boyfriend. Uh, really, uh, he he has more experience. He would know the best game ever. So okay,
1: yeah, I'm sure
0: <laughs> he would probably agree with you though. That's it. That's a good game. So uh, what are some programming languages that people should maybe keep on their radar or consider? learning as they kind of progress in their journey? Uh,
1: I guess it is about uh, Python of course. It is also about Swift because I've heard some things about Swift and machine learning like combining Swift or uh, machine learning and TensorFlow for Swift and similar things. Okay. And also I would say, I don't know, closure. I've heard a lot of hype and a lot of comments about Clojure, but I'm not really sure how how popular to remain because uh, at some point Scala, it was also very, very popular for machine learning. But for now we don't have Scala at all.
0: Mm. Yeah. I heard, I heard some people talking about that. It's like, uh, they, it's like they made it so complicated or something yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like there's no yeah. way it could be popular because it's, uh, I mean, that's why Python is so popular because anybody can do it basically. So, yeah, but yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. But, yeah.
0: Well, thanks for sharing all of this. Um, We we kind of went over the time, but uh, hopefully that's okay. I I was uh, really enjoying the conversation with you. Yeah,
1: me too. Yeah, Yeah, thank you
0: so much. We're oh, you're totally welcome. The honor is all mine. Uh, Seriously, like you're uh, you're an inspiration to a a lot of people. So I'm I'm so happy I could get you here on the show. Yeah, Yeah, where can people where can people find out more about you? I know you have a medium blog. You're on Instagram. Is there other yeah, places? I
1: have LinkedIn. I have uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram, but it is more kind of the, not the thing that people are expecting to see <laughs> the <with it. laughs>
0: Okay. Well, yeah,
1: I have LinkedIn and I have Facebook, yeah, and uh, yeah, I guess this is it, yeah.
0: Okay, cool. So, um maybe maybe you can send me uh like your your uh either the URLs or something like that that way I can put them in the yes, show notes. And, uh, that way if people want to learn more about you. They can, uh, they can easily find you. So. Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. Uh, did we leave anything off the table here? Did you have any final messages for like women in tech or people breaking into programming or any, anything that you want to kind of close with?
1: Mm, I guess that's the only thing I would say that is that any person that is really willing to do data science, uh, he or she is capable of that.
0: Okay. Because
1: really a lot of people, they think about, so like, for instance, I'm a woman, I'm not uh, good for it enough or I don't know, I'm learning, I I have this degree and that's why I can't do data science or similar things that a lot of people are thinking about because they think the data science is something, I don't know, something that magical that only the chosen people can do it. (laughs) But in practice, it is simply the job. It is simply about reading, understanding, and uh, doing stuff a bit differently from engineering. But this is not some kind of the magic skill that nobody can learn except for some people. So, and this is why I try to share my knowledge a lot because there is nothing that much not understandable and that much complex that any person can't do.
0: Yeah, I love that message. I I hope people are hearing it loud and clear. So thank you for sharing that, Galena. uh, It's been amazing to have you on the show and I can't, I can't wait to see like how your career progresses. I think you have a really bright future, so. Yeah, I hope, yeah. Thank you very much. I hope so, too. All right. Uh, Well, uh, yeah, thank you so much.